Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and what I mentioned at the end of the previous program was that it would be a really good idea to listen to the programs that I've already produced on forgiveness, the will of God, prayer, and our identity in Christ. You can hear these programs through the radio archive at livinggodministries.net. And I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to those programs because there's no way that I'm going to be able to duplicate all of that material in this program or in the subsequent programs because it just simply isn't realistic. At this time, what I'm doing is I'm going through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, and so I have to proceed. I have to make the assumption that those of you who are listening to this program are already familiar with these topics, and if you're not, then you just have to try to bear with me the best you can, and please understand that this just simply is an advanced topic. It's an advanced letter. There are many things that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians that assume, that he assumed that people already knew certain things. And so I'm not going to be able to explain everything in detail. I can at least summarize and direct you to where you can find some additional information. So in this program, I'm going to begin in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, "...who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever." And ever. Amen. Now, the first thing that I need to start with is the will of God, which is the end of this verse. I need to talk about the will of God for just a moment, because if we have been delivered from this present age according to the will of God, you need to know what the will of God is in order to appreciate what he means when he says that we have been delivered from this present evil age. Now, when people talk about the will of God, For the most part, what people are talking about is the desire of God, and there is certainly a lot of truth to that, but they're normally talking about the will of God in that context, and sometimes I refer to the will of God in that context as well. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you can easily miss out on the real importance of understanding the will of God in a different context. The will of God in this different context was described well in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, where he described the will of God as an inheritance that we receive as a result of his death. And I believe that that is what the Apostle Paul is referring to here. I don't think he's talking about the will of God in the sense of the desire of God, that God wants everyone to be saved, and so because of that, people are going to be saved. Or he wants some people to be saved, and because of that, some people will be saved. I believe that the will of God that he is referring to is the description of what we would receive as a result of his death if we are his children. That, to me, is the most important context of the will of God because the inheritance that we receive as a result of his death, being his children, 
is what we truly need for life and godliness. It's what we need in order to engage the world in the way that our God wants us to engage the world. To engage the world with the abundance of what he has given to us. Not to engage the world hoping that we will be obedient to God so that maybe he'll give us something, but instead to embrace the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death so that we can live our lives with what we have, not with what we don't have, so that we can live our lives enjoying what we have, not trying to live our lives with hope that he will respond in some way and give us something. Those are two completely different ways of life. I really believe that those differences need to be recognized. They need to be understood. So how would he deliver us from this present evil age according to the will? Well, there are two ways to look at this. One way is to look at this in the context of salvation, and there is certainly some truth in that, where we can see that he has given to us his spirit as a result of his death. And for those who want to receive the Holy Spirit of God, those are the people who can be resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the life of God. And those people will certainly be delivered from this present evil age in the context of salvation. Or we could also look at this from the perspective of our daily lives, which I personally believe is what he's emphasizing here. But he could very well be referring to the context of salvation as well. I don't want to say that he's not, because there definitely is a lot of truth to that. But to be delivered from this present evil age in the context of our lives in Christ... In order to be delivered from the evil of this age, we need to be able to say no to the temptations of life, the temptations of this evil age, the evil temptations that draw us away from our God. And of course, the only way that we are going to be able to say no to the temptations of life is if we are resting and trusting and relying on those things that he has given to us. I'm referring specifically to his love, his acceptance, his understanding, the purpose that he gives us being his children. These are things that we need and are only available through the will of God, through the inheritance that has been given according to the will that went into effect after he died. And so in that sense, we are delivered from this present evil age because when we are resting in his love, then the false advertising of this evil age that if you engage in sin, then you will feel as though you are loved, no longer has the impact. It does not have the same temptation or the magnitude of temptation because we know and we are resting in the true love of God. And so that's one way that he delivers us. And so I wanted to mention that, that in one sense we can be delivered in the context of salvation, but we can also be delivered in the context of the temptations of life, the temptations to sin that we struggle with. Now, this, of course, is only possible because of forgiveness. That's what makes all of this possible. The only way that we can possibly have a relationship with our God is if he resolves the sin issue in such a way that it will never be an issue between us and our God ever again. So that's why it's so important to understand the beginning of verse 4 in conjunction with all of this, where he said, who gave himself for our sins. He died for our sins. And we know that the teaching that the Apostle Paul presented 
was that Jesus died for the sins of humanity to the extent that there is no sin that is held against anyone anymore, except, of course, the sin of unbelief, the sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. There's nothing he can do with that. But in the context of the complete forgiveness of sins, he forgave our sins so that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And the reason why he says, so that he might, is because he might not. That's a very important word that's found there in verse 4, so that he might. He might deliver us, but that doesn't mean that he automatically will necessarily. Sometimes people make the assumption that he will just because he forgives you, then that means he's going to deliver you as well. But that is not necessarily the case. Now, this is going to sound a little bit awkward because there are many people who believe that forgiveness is salvation. And if you believe that, then, of course, this should sound awkward. Because when a person believes that forgiveness is salvation, well, then you should be delivered from this present evil age. That is your deliverance. If you are forgiven, then you are delivered. I believe that forgiveness is what makes salvation possible, but that forgiveness in and of itself is not salvation. And what I mean by that is that when Jesus died for the sins of the world, he died for the sins of the world, everyone in the world. And in the world, there are two different classifications of people. There are those who are saved and there are those who are lost. But everyone is forgiven. Now, the reason why I can say that is because I believe forgiveness makes salvation possible, but that forgiveness in and of itself is not salvation. And I will explain that in more detail in just a moment. But for the moment, just to get through this verse, what I would like to emphasize is the fact that he died for the sins of the world so that he might deliver people. He delivers people according to the will of God. And the will of God is the description of the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. But the first thing that you need to understand about the inheritance is that he gives to us his spirit, his very being. It is his spirit that resurrects us from the dead. It is the life of God that resurrects us, and that is our deliverance. That is our salvation. So this is the general summary. Let me get into some specifics for just a moment, and this is very important to understand because when Paul talks about a different gospel in verse 6, if you don't understand this, you're not going to be able to understand how there could possibly be a different gospel or why. Now, the real problem between man and God before the Lord Jesus came, of course, the real problem was described in two parts. There were two parts to the real problem between humanity and our God. The first part, of course, has to do with the sin that was committed by Adam and Eve. They were given the law. They violated the law. They ate from the wrong tree. And because of that, they sinned. Sin entered into Adam and Eve. And sin has passed on into everyone who has been born from Adam and Eve, which is everyone who is listening to this program and everyone who is not listening to this program, everyone who exists or who has existed or who will exist on this planet is an individual who has received this condition, this sinful nature. Everyone has received or inherited this condition that began with Adam and Eve, that sin has entered into the world, it has passed through all people, and because of that, the consequences of sin, being death, has also passed 
to all people. So that's the first part. The first part is sin, and everyone is guilty of their own sin. Everybody's got plenty of sin that they can be guilty of. But the second part has to do with the death of humanity. Now, physical death has passed through all men, but in addition to that, there was a spiritual death that took place in the Garden of Eden. The spiritual death is best defined by understanding that when God breathed into Adam and Eve the breath of life, He breathed within them his very spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of life was breathed within them and they became a living being. They had the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. But when they violated the law, they sinned and they died. The death that they experienced was a spiritual death. When they died in that day, they did. They died in that day in the sense that the Spirit of God departed from within them, which left them in a condition of being spiritually dead. Those are the two parts of the problem between man and God. I like to refer to this as the bad news. The bad news is sin and death. Now, the physical death, I believe, can be looked at as part of the punishment that Adam and Eve received because of their sin, and that, of course, has been perpetuated throughout the history of humanity. I understand the physical death can be looked at from that point of view. I believe it can also be looked at from another point of view, though, that in many ways it's a blessing and not necessarily a curse. Because if you haven't noticed, this is not heaven, and this is not the Garden of Eden either. The only way that you're going to be evacuated from this place is through physical death. And when you are, then you will have an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven or not. So this is the bad news. The bad news is sin and spiritual death. Now, the solution to the bad news is the good news, the gospel, the good news. The good news is that God has provided a solution for this problem that exists in humanity. How did he accomplish this? He did this in two parts. He did this through the crucifixion and through the resurrection. Through the crucifixion, he died for the sins of humanity. He dealt with the sin issue once and for all. He died once and he's not going to do it again. The sin issue, the entire sin problem between man and God came to an end when Jesus died on the cross. Now, that was a very important part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. That is the solution to the first part of the bad news, which is sin. We have sin, it needs to be forgiven. Jesus died for our sins so that he could forgive our sins. But that's not the whole problem. The rest of the problem, the second part of the problem, is that we are spiritually dead. So when he dies for the sins of the world, what he gets out of that is a bunch of forgiven dead people. Again, what he gets out of dying for the sins of the world is a bunch of forgiven dead people. But there's still dead people. The second part of the bad news, of the problem that resulted from the decision of Adam and Eve, that still needs to be resolved. How do you deal with the death of humanity? How do you deal with the absence of the Holy Spirit within God's creation, within the people? How do you solve that problem? Well, he solved that problem by resurrecting from the dead. He resurrected, and then, through his resurrection, he sent to humanity the Holy Spirit 
that was lost in Adam. And he has offered to humanity the Holy Spirit as a free gift. He's offering that gift freely. So everyone has been forgiven, but not everyone has been resurrected. A person will only be resurrected, they will only be made alive spiritually, if they will receive the free gift of the life of God. And when they receive the free gift of the life of God, referring to the Holy Spirit of God, then because there is no sin that has been left unforgiven, there is no sin that will cause the life of God to depart from within humanity ever again. And so the life that you will receive will be an eternal life, an everlasting life. So Jesus died for the sins of humanity so he can offer to humanity eternal life, everlasting life. And this is what is offered as a free gift. Forgiveness has already been given to everyone. Everyone is forgiven. But you will not be saved. You will not be delivered until you are resurrected. Only then will you be made alive, will you be made into a child of God, will you be the recipient of his inheritance. Only then will you be able to truly appreciate and make use of the forgiveness that he has already given to you. Until then, it's practically meaningless. It does not solve the whole problem of humanity. So when you consider the gospel, you have to define what the problem is and what the solution is. Otherwise, you are not going to be able to differentiate between the different Gospels that people proclaim, that people describe. You will not be able to understand what Paul was talking about when he said a different Gospel. So again, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, "...who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you can understand what I mean when I say that when Paul wrote verse 4, he made some assumptions about the people in Galatia, that they would have understood these things. They would have understood what he meant when he said the forgiveness of sins, when he said deliverance from this present evil age, when he said the will of God. They would have already understood. He knew what they already heard from him. He knew what they already knew or what they should have known. And so he was able to address them with phrases that already had meaning between himself and the people there in Galatia. Now, you've got to understand this because if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand what I'm going to say now. And that is that There are many people today who do not believe in the complete forgiveness of sins. There are many people today who do not believe in deliverance in the way that I just described. There are many people today who have no concept of the will of God being the description of an inheritance that we have received. There are many people today who deal with the same problems that the early church were dealing with, the exact same problems. The people in Galatia would have known about these things, but the people in other places, like in Jerusalem, would they have known about these things? I don't think so. Not when I look at the historical record in the book of Acts. I don't have a lot of confidence to be able to say that they all understood what Paul was talking about. So if that's the case today, if a person does not have a good understanding of the gospel today, 
if they don't understand these subjects that I just described, then would it be such a surprise to discover that they probably are not going to understand a whole lot about what Paul wrote here in the book of Galatians? It's not likely that a person today is going to be able to really appreciate and understand the things that Paul wrote in this letter. If they are saved, if they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, they will probably be able to appreciate some things. But there are a lot of things that they won't, that the Lord simply will not be able to speak with them about. So I am going to be talking about these things, and if you have trouble understanding what I'm talking about when I go through these verses, again, you've got to listen to the programs that I did on the subject of forgiveness. You have to listen to the programs that I did on the subject of the will of God. And also consider listening to the programs I did on our identity in Christ, because I am going to make assumptions about who is listening to these programs. I am going to assume in some cases that you already understand those things, the content that I have described, because I am going to move beyond it and talk about the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians to the extent that I believe he intended people to understand. Now, beginning in verse 6, it says... I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Now, when he says a different gospel, I think you can now appreciate the importance of that statement, because what I just described concerning the gospel is reasonably unique. There are not a lot of people who believe what I just described. What I just explained is that the gospel has to do with sin and death, forgiveness and the restoration of life. And that is not a very common description of the gospel. In fact, it's extremely unusual to find anyone who will describe the gospel in that way. In most cases, the most common description of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins And if we will believe in that forgiveness, if we will accept that forgiveness, if we will embrace that forgiveness, then he will provide us with entrance into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, when we die. But what I'm talking about is something beyond that. Sin and death, forgiveness and the restoration of life, and this resurrection happens right now so that we can live a life right now, the life of Christ right now. He lives his life within us and through us right now. And this life is something that we can experience right now up until the point when we die physically and then will be continued in a new and different way beyond that. But if you don't understand the death and life issue of the gospel, then you probably don't have a different gospel. Not if you believe in sin and forgiveness and that you will have a place in the kingdom of heaven. If you believe that, it's unlikely that it's a different gospel. But if you take that position and then move beyond that to say that we are now to live according to the law, that we are now to live according to our repentance and obedience, it is at that point that it can easily become a different gospel. And I believe that that is very similar to what the apostles were dealing with at the time when Paul wrote this. When he wrote this, there were differences of opinions concerning the gospel. If you were to ask people back then, what's the gospel? People would give different answers. If you went to the church in Jerusalem and you asked the people there, 
What's the gospel? You would get one answer. And if you went to the people in Galatia or in Ephesus or in Rome and you asked them, what's the gospel? They might very well give you a different answer. So you must understand that not everybody agrees about what the gospel is. But I can guarantee you this. If you do not understand the true gospel, regardless of what other people think, if you don't have the right one, well, then you can experience some significant complications in your life. And so in the next program, I'm going to talk about these differences with greater detail. I'm going to explain the differences between the gospel in Jerusalem and the gospel that the Apostle Paul taught. I will talk about those two different gospels because I do believe that there were some greater variations throughout the world at that time. But I'm going to focus on those two, and I will show you the similarities between those two back then and the two competing Gospels that I see being presented today. And so you'll have a greater appreciation for what I mean when I say that people today also can believe in different Gospels. And there can be some significant risk if a person does not understand the true Gospel. There can be some limitations, some complications, and there might be risk that a person may not be saved. Now, when it comes to the differences, the differences really come from the question of how do we now live our lives in light of Jesus being the Messiah, in light of forgiveness, in the light of these things, what does that mean to us now? And this is a very real question, because when a person first discovers the gospel, the gospel in the sense of sin, death, forgiveness, the restoration of life, or maybe just sin and forgiveness. When a person discovers these things, then a person will normally just ask the question, so what do I do now? What does that mean now? And in the meantime, between the time that a person gets saved and they discover the real implications of their salvation, not just that, but they also begin to know their God, in that time between salvation, being born again, and beginning to mature in Christ, this question of what do we do is an important question. And when it remains unanswered, by default, what many people will do is turn to some system of law of some kind. If it's not the law of Moses, it may be the law of the church, or it may be their own standard of what is right and wrong, or good and evil. It's to be expected in some ways when a person has not yet matured in their faith. But I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net